Welcome, redeemed family and friends, to the Church on the Move. How exciting that God has given us this new building right in the heart of Lakewood. It's literally an opportunity for us to be a hub to really serve and love our community. I think it's so amazing. It was interesting because uh, yesterday I was over at my daughter Sarah's house fixing a clogged drain. I actually had to crawl under her house to be able to take care of this crazy clog. And I come out, and I'm just kind of a mess, and it really wasn't that fun, just to be truthful with you. And I'm getting ready to leave, and granddaughter Beatrix, who's literally about the height of my kneecap, runs over to me. She looks at me. I'm filthy. She doesn't even really know how to touch me. Then she just finds a spot on my leg, gives me this big hug on the leg, even though my pants are kind of dirty, looks up and just smiles at me. It meant so much. It just changed everything. And I just want to go on record as saying, when we're going to be a hub to this community, we're going to be a hug on the leg like my granddaughter was to me. That is who we are. That's who we're going to get to be. Thank you, God, that we get to do that, that we are a church on the move to really be a hub, or if you can handle it, a hug to our community. I'm excited. Listen, on the background of us moving into a new place or new building, we're also moving into a closer level of relationship and worship to God. And that's why we're on this uh, four-part series of worship. We really want to understand how it is to move into that place of touching the very heart of God and being touched by it. And so last week, Kurt spoke on what I would call the foundational uh, truth of worship, or he called it the formation, but the foundational. And that is the things that we give our attention to, we're actually giving our lives to. We give our lives to that which we give our attention. And what he said, and was very sobering to me in, in the right sense of the word, but we need to be careful what we give our attention to because we actually give power to that. And we don't want to have things having power over us. We want to give our life and our power to the things that really do move the heart of God in his kingdom. Just a great word, and I'm appreciative of it. Today, I'm going to be talking on the thing that uh, I've been really... Uh, very at home with all my life, and it's called relational worship. From the very beginning, I, I had opportunities to just be a part of life-changing relationships. I, some of you may know that I'm the third child of seven. My mother was one of these kind of people that, I mean, every person she talked to became their friend, and we'd be on the elevator, we'd just be saying, please, Mom, don't talk to people. And, and yet, before you get off the elevator, everybody's best friend. She was that kind of a person. She just had a relational prowess that was very significant. And I love relationship, and I have three daughters. They've increased my ability to understand relationship, and I've been married 39 years to my wife, and the relationship is growing, and it's more significant now than it was way back then. So relationship has always been very important to me. And so we're going to be talking about the fact that, we, that worship is relational, and you'll see that today. Then we're going to move on, and we're going to say when we understand how worship can be relational, it'll also be transformational. It'll change us, and we will be changed by it and able to change others, which will take us to our last series topic, which is worship is missional. And so Eddie's going to come and kind of clean that up for us and bring it home. But again, it's foundational. 
what you give your attention to is significant. It's relational. When you understand the level of connectedness that can come, it's transformational. It is designed by God to change us and to change our community, and that's what makes it missional. Well, let's get back to making sure that we even understand what worship is. I have uh, seen churches have a lot of different uh, twists or focuses on what they would call worship. And so I just want to make sure that we understand there's a lot of things out there, but when you come right down to it, I'm going to define worship as a supernatural connection, okay? Worship is a supernatural connection. So it's people on planet Earth in the physical realm making a connection in the spiritual realm or the eternal realm that's above Earth. So that's really what we're talking about here. And in the human realm, what it is, is that there's already a sense in our innermost being that there's more. And that's why people worship things, because they know there's more. What we want to make sure that we understand is that God commands us. So this, is, this isn't a thought, this isn't a suggestion, this is a command, but God commands us to worship Him. Isn't that interesting? Because He knows that we have a DNA you know, predetermined by Him to understand that there's an eternal realm, and He wants us to connect with it correctly. And so the very first thing he says is, don't worship anyone above me, that I'm above it all. And worship me. And then we're going to see in the New Testament, he says, and when you worship me, I'm asking that you worship me in spirit and truth. We're going to find both of those things lead to the right relationship. That's why he's saying it. It's a relational uh, understanding that we need to have. I want you to acknowledge today that when we talk about worship, it's not a, um, a passive thing, nor is it a formula. It bothers me when I come in and I can sense the Spirit of God moving and I look around and people are, are they've been sedated. I, I just don't understand how when you sit there and you sense the supernatural realm colliding with the physical realm and we're just kind of like observers. I just, I don't, I don't get that. And then the other thing is that I see that we, we can kind of make mistakes with too is that we turn it into mechanical thing we say there's going to be three songs there's going to be this and that and you say these liturgies and you do these things and you pray this long and you pray in king james or you whatever or you pray in tongues and you do these things and then the result is you feel spiritual and it doesn't work that way either the truth is is that you are going to be able to have an encounter with the most high god that's what he's looking for. And when you have that encounter, what you're really experiencing is the very presence of God. When the presence of God becomes more real than the stuff of the earth, you are on the right track, friends. That's what I'm looking for. Those are the folks that I need to be around. And when we sense his presence, this is what's amazing, but we're going to learn today that as we really reach out further, as we seek him, his presence becomes more solid, if you will. It's like it's hard to see. He's, he's invisible. He tells us that. That eternal realm is above the physical. But when we worship Him in spirit and truth, it's almost like He's manifesting Himself, becoming more solid and more real, which is what we need. We don't need an invisible, intangible God. We need a God who's making everything different. And that's what I'm seeking when I seek Him in spirit and truth. That's what I'm looking for in worship. And so I just want us to make sure that we understand that worshiping Him is an opportunity to see His presence have command of our lives. And that really puts everything in perspective. Can I say it this way? His presence 
puts everything into proper perspective. And without his presence, it's really hard to figure it out. He hasn't left us alone. He's in relationship with us. John 17, 3 says, and this is Jesus speaking, this is eternal life that you may know the Father. He wants us to know him so that he truly can not only guide us, but belong with us along the way. One of my favorite truths that uh, show the, the depth of worship is with Moses. I love Moses because he's so human. And he's just trying to make a difference. And God's hand is on his life. And then at one point, you know, he just kind of falls into a burning bush and looking at it. And he's trying to figure it out. And when it comes right down to it, we can't figure God out. Figure this out, that God himself wants a relationship with us. We, we get stuck right there. And so he's just trying to do the right thing. But through all the pilgrimage, the journey of coming to know God, he actually comes to this place in Exodus that we learned, 33, 11, where God would speak to him face to face as one who speaks to a friend. And that's what I'm looking for. That's worship. What? God wasn't giving him information so that he could go out and execute God's plans. It wasn't a transactional relationship. It was a relational relationship. There's one that he would speak to him with when he speaks to a friend. And if you understand that that's what God wants, we'll have the right perspective on worship. It's not a formula. It's not passive. It's a relationship. And so I'm just, I'm just so encouraged by it. And if, you, and if you'll just think a little bit further on the same truth, is that all the people around Moses were willing to go out and worship a golden calf that they created instead of the real God that wanted to talk to him as a friend. And, and when, you, when you see it, when you read it, you can, you can see how far off we can be. Why would they worship a golden calf that they made themselves or they say that, quote-unquote, the fire just made it under Aaron's you know, guidance. The truth is, is that they wanted to worship a God that would be at their beckoning, that would do the things that they wanted done. Therefore, they were willing to make and carve out their own God. I'm so pleased that our perspectives don't change who God really is. But when God shows up with his, pre his presence, our perspectives change. And we get to know him. And that really will lead into next week where we're transformed by that. So anyway, let's make sure that we are in relational worship. And I just want to talk about relational worship in two areas today. So now we kind of know what it is. But I want you to uh, read a verse with me. It's John chapter 4, uh, verses 23 and 24. Because I think it will help us to see the power of a right relationship in God in our worship. John 4, 23, 24 says, But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is the Lord Jesus speaking to his people, telling us this. And what's amazing to me is that as a Baptist, I grew up and everybody said, you see, you got to worship in spirit and truth. That's where they took us. You got to worship in spirit and truth. And so then you come down to, you know, asking yourself, what is spirit and what is truth? Well, spirit is a connection from your spirit to the spirit of God. It's a spirit connection. It's not just a head connection. It's not just a quote unquote truth connection. 
And here, what I would suggest to you is that the deeper truth here isn't this is how you do it. Here's the mechanics. The deeper truth, please don't miss this, is that God is seeking people to worship him. He's seeking us out. Kurt told us, be careful what you give your attention to. God's saying, I'm giving my attention to people who will seek me. That changes everything for me. He is seeking someone to give his attention, to share his life with. And with his life comes his presence. And with his presence comes God. Everything that's available to God is made available to us in this relational true worship. The truth isn't do it this way. This is how you're supposed to behave. The truth is, is by faith. Can you believe that God is seeking us out? And will we seek him? Because the truth goes like this. It's found in Hebrews 11:6 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We can't even find him outside of faith, but he's looking for us. And when we come to him in truth and in a heart of faith, because everything we see doesn't make sense, but the true living God does, we begin to see him. And he becomes more real, more solid, and everything changes. I'd encourage you sometimes to even go back and look at Hebrews chapter 10. And this is, this is one of my favorite scary verses. It's Hebrews chapter 10. And it's verse 38 and 39. And this is what it says. It says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And I could stop right there. If you are righteous, if you really want to be true to God, then seek him by faith. You see what I'm saying? And he's telling us that that's how the righteous people live. They seek me. They actually believe that I'm seeking them and that I want a relationship with them. So he says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. Now listen to this, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. In other words, it, as soon as we stop the faith walk of seeking him and loving him, his soul, his heart has no pleasure in that. What are we going to do, write him a great song that compels him to listen? I mean, what are you going to do? Write out a plan to be able to extend your days on earth? There's nothing that's going to impress him. He just wants to make sure that we understand that by faith we give ourselves to him, believing that he has a greater good and that we would rather have his presence than anything else. When Moses said to God, I'm not going into that promised land unless you come with me, God said, well, are you sure? And then Moses basically says this to God, you are my promised land. If you are with me, no matter where I go, I'm in the promised land. We're there. And so that's the power of this truth. And God's saying, if you really want me, if you really love me, my pleasure's with you already. We're there. And then verse 39 says, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. I don't know if it gets much better than that. It's like a warning and an admonition and a reward all in the same verse saying, look, if you will get this right, everything will change. And you and I will be on the same page. I am looking for you on my radar screen. You're looking for me. We will find one another. We will belong and we will make a difference. That's what, what he's looking for. That's what worship opens the door to. So here's the reality of worship. God brings his presence when we bring our faith. That, that's, 
You know what? It's a, it is in a sense, it is like a transaction, but it's not a transaction. It's, it's an eternal exchange. We bring faith that he's better than anything else. He brings his presence, which proves it's true. It's a powerful thing. So that's what we're looking for. When I say worship, I just want to make sure that that's relational worship. That's how it's really supposed to work. I love music. I love liturgies. I love, I, people, I read and write poems. I wrote, you know, a song for my wife when we got married 39 years ago. It's not that great, but at least I wrote it and I sure didn't sing it because when it comes to singing, it's bad. But I, I love that kind of expression. But the expression that we're to give is supposed to come out of relationship. That's what makes it work. All right, so first of all, I want to acknowledge that worship, relational worship, is an interactive encounter with the living God. I just want to say that. We've already kind of gone around it. I'm just wanting to make sure you understand that true worship is an interactive encounter with the living God. That means that we sense him in that relationship and there's a moving and drawing together. That's why I'm saying it's not sedate or it's not a passive response. It's a very interactive one. And to the same degree that we're interactive, we're actually giving expression to how we feel and what we believe about God. And he loves it. And we need it. And he desires it. And the more that we express that to him, the more we grow in the depth of our relationship with him. It's pretty powerful. And sometimes we look at it and we think, because we've been trained, worship is a song, worship is singing, worship is on your knees, it's praying, it's doing, as opposed to that relational place of being in his presence and just having a conversation with him. But that's what it really is. And in a moment, we'll talk about how worship can be both personal and collective. But for now, just stay with the fact that it's an interactive encounter with the living God. So that when God says it's a, it's a terrible and fierce thing to fall into the hands of a living God, that's what it is. It, it is way beyond what this world can duplicate or, or what we could ever make up or manipulate on our own. I love the fact that you can't fabricate a movement of God. You just see it and then you join in with him. And that's what he's looking for. So that's that interactive encounter. And I just want to, it was so weird, but this happened to me this week. On uh, Wednesday, uh, I was given a video of a woman from Kenya who had written some uh, spiritual songs, some Christian songs. And so I thought, I'm going to look at this. I had a, it was during my lunch break, so I thought, I'm going to turn this on. I was at the house, so I put it in through the big speaker system. I cranked it up, and I was listening to it. Before I knew it, I, I found myself, I was just dancing around. I thought, this is, this is good stuff. And, I, and then I started thinking, I haven't felt this way since I was at a Native American conference. Yes, Doug Yates with you up in Alaska many years ago when you had the Emerge Conference, and you let me speak. And I remember that y'all Natives, you just started busting out and dance. And I'd never seen that. I mean, I'd seen these things on movies where, you know, they show stuff. But to see the Native people dancing unto God was a beautiful thing. And I remember I was just awestruck, and I wanted to join in, but I, I just felt like it was so sacred that it was my responsibility at that time just to watch and appreciate. Then afterwards, this is what they did, which was very helpful to me. They said, I want to explain to some of you what the Native dance was about. We tell our story. We, it's a living story that we create, and in our dance, we're, we're kind of sharing our story, and we're uh, relaying it uh, to God, it was just kind of connecting with him and our story together. 
So I was sitting there, I was listening to that song, and I was reminded of that. I thought, hey, I know how I can dance. I'm going to dance like the natives. So I remember one of the things they did is they were doing the hunt dance, like, you know, they're kind of hunting. So I started doing the hunt with them, and then I thought, you know what, I really need to do, I need to take it up a notch. And they were also doing a, a, a canoe-type dance before God. So I started hunting and canoeing at the same time, and into this African amazing music. And I'm telling you, I was busting some moves. It felt so good. I was, I was in my happy place. I could just sense the presence of the Lord right there in my kitchen all by myself, cooking up a storm. And then this is what was so crazy. As the Lord's my witness, and He is, I get a text from, Day, uh, from Doug Yates the next day, just a text. I hadn't talked to him in months. So I thought, I'm going to call him. I call him, and this is what he tells me. Uh, he says, Marty, I just wanted to let you know that this, this canoe ministry I've been working on for almost a couple years now, it all came to a head yesterday, and it was about to go sideways, and then it just broke through. He said, I'm calling today to tell you I'm celebrating that it went through, got the canoe, and it's moving on. I said, a canoe? I said, Doug, I was doing a canoe dance. He said, that's not a canoe dance. He said, that's the killer well dance. I didn't even know what I was doing. I gave expression to something in the spirit realm that God allowed me to do just to be of encouragement to these guys. I think that's really what happened. And so that's what I'm saying. In the spirit, you give expression to it. It's an interactive expression to things that are taking place in that eternal forever realm, and they're about to collide with planet Earth, and we get to participate in that. So I'm just acknowledging that we want to be open to His Spirit, to be able to participate in what He's doing, and that's the ultimate reality of worship, of relational worship. Now, friends, it can be two ways that this can happen. This can happen personally and it can happen collectively. So I'm just going to end with these two things. Relational worship needs to be and should be both personal and collective. And this is important because a lot of people will worship in private, but they won't worship, won't worship in public. Or they'll worship in public, but they won't really have a worship in private. And I'm telling you, they go together just like spirit and truth goes together. We can do both, and we're supposed to do both. And let me share with you how it works. So God takes our faith that we give Him in worship, right? You know, let's just stay on a personal level for a moment. In our heart of hearts, we reach out, and we say we believe, we need, we want, we care, we love. You know, we want to be close. We give Him that. In, in exchange for that, because we really believe it, and it's a faith movement, you know what He gives us? He gives us His presence. And in his presence, this is what comes with it, freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And there's, there's an amazing freedom in his presence because we don't have to try to figure everything out. We don't have to wonder whether he cares. He's right there with us. And so there's amazing freedom to give expression of our faith, which only does what? Increases our closeness to God, which blesses that personal connection to him, right? And, he, and allows us to even draw closer to him. So the more that we walk in that freedom, the more that we increase in our faith response to God, the deeper we get to go with him. And that's what it means when he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. It is that relationship of intimacy that comes because we're willing to worship him on that personal, very personal level. I also want to acknowledge that 
worship is to be corporate or public, or, you know, how, you know, I like to use the word collective myself, because what collective means is just not just my perspective, but it's the, it's the perspective of many. And it's interesting to me that, and, and you can see this, if you go and you read uh, Revelation uh, chapter 14, where we see the angel of the Lord moving on the people of God and you know, moving over the planet, and he's speaking out from heaven what he's desiring, which is that every tribe, every tongue, every nation would come to know him and worship him, right? And so we know that he wants that collective thing. And so it's, it's young and old, it's black and white, it's male, it's female, it's rich and poor, it's everyone bringing that collective expression of how good and great he is. And that's when the relationship moves to a whole new level, it moves beyond just our own perspective to a greater understanding of who he is in the context of the body. It's like the beautiful Sunday night family dinner where everybody's together and we get to share a meal and share in each other's lives. That's what he's really looking for. And so there is a, an important element of collective prayer. And, and where I said that in personal prayer, we're going to have that uh, interactive encounter with God where we receive from him his presence. When we have the collective expression with God, this is what I want you to, to look up because I believe I'm 100% right. Now I'll give you the scripture. But when we have the collective encounter with God, what happens is that there's a power release. So it's not just his presence, but now his power comes with it. It's like the difference between, you know, just having a nice chat and conversation or having a command being given and everything being laid out and having it where you switch the flip, you know, flip the switch and you say, game on, it's time to go. That's what happens when there's that collective sense of worship. And so what I would encourage you to do is, is to go and, and, and read some amazing worship experiences. I want to read a bad one for you first, uh, just because it's, it's right to have the warning that uh, people are worshiping collectively to false gods and getting power releases. I just want you to know that happens because there's a demonic realm that is counterfeiting the God realm. And that's why he tells us in the commandments, no false gods, no graven images. You got, it, it's not play, it's real. When you have an encounter in that spiritual realm, that supernatural, supernatural things happen. And so he's warning us that he needs to be worshipped as the one true God. And when you move away from that, there can be a power encounter. And I just want you to go to 2 Kings chapter 3. It's, a, uh, it's just a good reminder. We're going to go down to verses um, 27 and look at the end. But 2 Kings 3 and 26 and 27, and this is what's happening. The Israelites are fighting the Moabites. And the Israelites are finally going to get to win a battle. And so they've surrounded them. It's done. They're coming in to close out to actually defeat the Moabites. And what the Moabite king does, he's so desperate. He says, bring me my firstborn son. Bring me my oldest son. The Moabite king takes his oldest son and he sacrifices him on the wall right in the middle of this battle to his false god. He kills him. There's such a power release of dread that the Israelites are stunned and immobilized and the Moabites are able to leave 
and the Israelites, you know, flee. They don't pursue the battle. It's so amazing to me that that happened, but that happens. And so don't, don't be deceived. There are false gods and there can be worship in that. That's why I'm, on, I'm very careful to have the right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so that I'm worshiping Him in spirit and truth and not something else, right? Because something else may be indeed that. Now, in the New Testament, unfortunately, you can see the same thing. And I encourage you, go and, and dig deeper. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 10 through, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 20 through 21, Paul's warning people, he says, do you not know that when you worship idols, you're actually partaking with them in demonic rituals, and that you're, you, come, you become a sharer with them of their demonic realm. That's sobering to me. So that's just the warning. You go and you read it. What I'm suggesting or what I'm speaking is we need to be wise in the way that we relationship, the way that we worship, because power is released. I want to make sure that I take my inner person, my spirit, and connect with the spirit of the living God and nothing less than that. I'm not looking for a power broker. I'm not looking to try to cut a deal with a God that will get me what I want. I'm looking for the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ so I can be with Him, so that my life can be changed, so that I can make sure that I understand how to move with Him in a way that pleases Him in a way that makes sure that communicates to him my love and my adoration to him. And I need to be around people who get that as well, right? And so when I'm talking public worship, it's right to make sure that we come together to worship the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in closing, what I want to make sure that we understand is that the power release that comes collectively from worshiping him is remarkable. You can look in Revelation chapter 8, 3 through 5, and I won't read it now. But what it is, is it's John giving us a vision. And actually, it's a recount of worship that was taking place in heaven, right? Above time, above the physical realm, but God allows him to put his head and his spirit to come into the eternal forever realm and see worship that was taking place at the very throne of God. And in 8, 3 through 5, he says, okay, now I'm going to show you something that happened and is happening. And as the saints on earth are worshiping God and praying, that what happens is there's prayer and power given to the very incense altar on the throne of God in the heavenly realm. And then what happens is God directs that this incense altar, which is the prayer of the saints that's coming from the worship of us to God and stored in heaven, is now taken by the angel and thrust to planet earth where it manifests itself through, bam, through lightning and thunder. It moves the planet. And so when we are worshiping God collectively, we are giving Him power to be able to release from heaven back to planet Earth. And I know for some of us, you think, well, no, God's all-powerful. He is all-powerful, but He has created us to be able to give our power to Him that He can even grow in power when we worship Him in spirit and truth. We actually get to participate with God and bring some ammunition for change. It's an incredible truth. And so many times we're trying to change planet crazy and we're banging our heads against the wall and it's going nowhere. And it's not because we're 
you know, showing lack of effort. We're probably doing the best we can. It's because we haven't stopped collectively united together as the people of God, come to worship Him in spirit and truth and then allowing Him to move. Sometimes I sit there and I go, man, that, that breakthrough that He wants, it's, it's just, it's worth worshiping for. It's worth seeking for. I need others around. There's a reason that He says we're two or more are gathered together in my name. There I am in their midst. He's, he's baiting us to understand it. He, there's a reason. He says, I've given to you the, the keys to the kingdom of heaven so that things can be shaken. And so we have that responsibility and also that opportunity to see him move. And when I come to worship, folks, I'm looking for that. And so I'm, I'm asking that you would understand that worship needs to be seen from a biblical God perspective. And the biblical God perspective is he's saying, if you will come with faith, I will freely show up with my presence. And the more faith you bring, the more, the more solid this is going to become. And then collectively, the more perspective and people and the more united we come, the greater the outcome to be able to change our communities. That's how it works. That's what he's looking for. And so sometimes it's crazy to me. I see people in, in Redeem, we're guilty of this. We've been guilty of this since I've been coming. I've been coming for years. People sometimes don't even show up till after worship. I mean, like, they wait till the music portion's done, then they show up. I, I'd seen that, or we come in late, we're like lackadaisical. And, and I'm so grateful that the Redeem I'm seeing, there are people who get there early to pray and set the table in worship and prayer so that the presence of God is already calling us and moving so that we can come and move with Him, so we can bust a move. We might be able to get to do the killer well dance. We get to move on behalf of seeing God activated and us getting to participate in it. And yet we'll sit there and go like, oh, one song, two song, three song, go. It's not that way. Every song should be an invitation to dance with God. That's what it is, to give expression to who He is, to love Him like He deserves it, to come up and hug His knee, if nothing less. What a privilege that we get to do that. And when all this family comes together and does that, can I tell you that his soul takes great pleasure in that? Don't shrink back. I know I'm a little riled up. Um, I, I need to be a part of a church that is growing in relationship with God. I need to be a part of, of, uh, of a worship that is stirring and moving. You know why? Because everything I see doesn't only pale in comparison to God, but the things that I see need God. We've never needed God more than, we need His presence. We need it solid. We need it real. And so that's why I'm committed to relational worship. I'm asking you to do the same. May you this very week just take time to uh, take some faith get some freedom, and bust a move, right? Give your life to the Lord. What, do you, what else are you going to give it to? Who, who's, who's deserving of our attention other than Him? That Moabite king took his firstborn son to cut a deal with a demon. Our God laid his life down willingly to call us into a deeper relationship with Him. Who are you going to serve, right? The Lord Jesus loves you. He gave His life. 
He's so worthy of our worship and he won't even force himself. He'll knock on the door of your heart. And I'm just asking, let's say yes to him and let's move that way. And let's see what happens when we move that way in our community. The Lord bless you and guide you. The Lord keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he give you his shalom. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.